Hello, friends. Welcome to the Friday conversation. I forget the number, but it's 10, I don't know, some 10 something. But we're here today, 104. But we're here today to talk. Jared knows. Uh, we're here today to talk about fairy tales. Are they sweet and cuddly or are they really out to get us? Is it uh, propaganda? Is it <laughs> conspiracy? Is it just lighthearted fun? We'll, uh, we'll discuss. So, Jared, this is uh, a topic you brought up. So, start us off with an introduction. Uh, yeah, I'm Jared. Um, I run the Fantasy Thinker YouTube channel, and I uh, occasionally do a blog here on pastejoying.com. And Susanna. Hello, my name is Susanna Mijanadiu. I am a writer and uh, sometimes YouTuber at the end of the weird. Yes, and uh, I'll have all those links down below in the description. <laughs> your, your animals are, your dogs are upset. Pay attention to me. <laughs> so yeah, his just, name is uh, Demon. Fairy tales, uh, I think. He loves fairy tales. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Uh, it's a fitting name. <laughs> uh, but <coughs> fairy tales are, um, you know, I think most most of us think is fairy tales is kind of, I don't know, like a comfort. But I don't know. I think the <laughs> little bit of that I've looked into it, they. Um, like on psychology, uh, a couple of psychology articles about it, and mm. they're an essential. Um, they permit both the expression of natural violence, and at the same time preserve the essential past uh, part of life, without which the child cannot prosper, which is hope. So, thinking back, I guess fairy tales can be pretty violent. Now, even early Disney movies are pretty dark. Yeah, they uh they go back uh of course they, they, the origins go back thousands of years and so you can imagine how they've have changed immeasurably um over that time and uh so it's it's uh you know we were talking about fairy tales at, on a previous conversation and um we brought them up as how some of them are dark and you know, and some of them are grim and, uh, but, um, it's, but they've been, they've been around so long that, and they originally started as, you know, oral traditional, traditionally oral stories that were passed down, uh, from one, one, uh, generation to the next. And, um, a lot of these fairy tales had, you know, they, they involved creatures that had like some kind of magical abilities and and they're um and they're a gener a genre basically of folklore and they have but they have magical and fantastical elements and uh you know have supernatural beings and and a lot of the times moral lessons and uh so what those moral lessons encompass uh you know, could have been pretty dark at some times in the past. <laughs> do you, uh, how, do you both think that, Oh, go ahead, Susanna. Sorry. I was just, uh, how I was asking, how, how are they different or how are they different from myths from just mythology? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, it's, and it's, it's hard to point pinpoint from what, from what I could, you know, the little bit of research I did, which, you know, was just enough to get me in trouble here. But, um, it, uh, 
it seems like because uh, they have their roots in the ancient civilizations, just like myths do, um, you know, including the Sumerians and the Egyptians and Greeks and Romans and the Chinese, and um, the uh, and then they were made more popular during time of Aesop um, in the in the Greek sixth uh, century BC, and of course there was tons of translations from his stuff. Um, and, but there was still a lot of oral stuff from that. And so what makes it different from myths is, is interesting because you got several possible cultural influences on the concepts of fairy tales. And that includes the belief in supernatural beings similar to, um, ancient Greek and Roman and Egyptian mythologies where they're associated with nature, magic, and the spirit world. Uh, and I, I would postulate, even though it's, it's, you can't really tell by the origins that some of these fairy tale myths l- grew into the myths of the gods and stuff like that. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of animism and stuff that, these things originate from so i wonder is it so for (coughs) for children for them to be invested in the story they have the imagination to they 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 have the imagination to to carry to kind of take an interest in these fantastical stories and as adults when we have a little bit maybe a little bit more cynical or a little bit more skeptical do we need something like a like mythology something to believe in some kind of belief system some with some kind of weight and consequence to be to be have an interest in stories like that do we can we just not be entertained in in a story like that do we need something to invest in is that hmm. Suzanne what do you think <laughs> uh, but we are predisposed to like stories, you know, they are far more entertaining than uh, you know, just lessons. Um, I don't know, I don't have kids, but I guess if you try to explain something to a kid by just laying out the facts and, and the, the laws and this is what this is, uh, it, they're going to start rolling their eyes or blazing or looking at the window very soon. But if you start talking about dragons and dark princes and evil gods and monsters, uh, they pay attention. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we are natural storytelling creatures. It's part of, um, it's part of our evolution in order to explain what we didn't know about the world. Uh, You develop stories in order to help explain that. And uh, to try to make sense of everything. And, um, you know, and part of that is, part of that, of course, is entertainment as, you know, in order to make the most sense of the world, you're going to want the most entertaining way of doing that in order to engage, you know, who you're talking to and stuff like that. Um, So I think, you know, that definitely makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the same stories are translated. They seem to be universally loved. Over, over, 
with different cultures and different belief systems, the same mm-hmm. stories are are translated and still still beloved by by different types of people. And I, I guess it's like you mentioned, it's kind of the it's the storytelling, it's the stories that I guess the life lessons you can take away from them, regardless of what your culture or belief system is. You know, the universal stories about life or like it's like mentioned that article hope uh, why are they called fairy tales and the, That's a good question. the, the reason that i'm asking a... this is uh growing up in portugal fairy tales uh, is well our idea of what a fairy is is very different than the, uh, what the fairy is here in Ireland, for example. But we still call it fairy tales. And so I, I was wondering why how does that happen? Yeah, I was curious too, because a lot of um, what's called fairy tales, you have, you know, you have stuff like uh, Little Red Riding Hood and Sleeping Beauty and Pinocchio and, and, and all this stuff that's been Disney-fied today, um, they don't actually, a lot of them don't actually have actual fairies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that you would, you know, that the little creatures with wings are fluttering or something like that. Um, you know, there's a few that do, but, uh, but it's, uh, kind of interesting that the term fairy tale, um, took on a much, um, bigger role i guess than just being literally about magical little magical fairies you know uh it's uh yeah from my uh my google powers i found an article um so it looks like in the late 17th century a french writer called the french fairy tale stories uh contest de fils probably mispronounce that because of the fairies featured in them this name stuck and was translated to english as fairy tales so it just kind of one of those things where someone named it something and it just stuck. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a lot of of course different um as different cultures interacted in exchange stories, the mythologies and folklores and stuff, you know, obviously would have influenced each other and you would have a you know, this all a blending of uh different uh stories that you know, would develop and have similar beings like fairies and, and, uh, you know, in Ireland would be like leprechauns. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess they, it's, so why have fairy tales? Why, why do we still, why do they still exist after all this time? Is it, um, I guess, why are they still popular? Why is it, a, why is it still a thing? And I think it's amazing to me the way that, the older fairy tales were passed down just orally, not even written down, just generation to generation. Because yeah. uh, we just like question. stories. We just like telling stories. A good story will endure. The characters might change. The, the setting might change. But it's the message within the story that it's important. And I, I also think there was a um, there was some sort of imperative to have uh, 
you know, morals in these stories to teach as a teaching tool, um, not only to originally to explain the world, you know, around us, but also, um, there's, there's lessons in there too. Uh, in some of the, uh, you know, some of the lessons are as simple as, um, don't, uh, you know, don't go out by yourself in the woods or something like that. Um, and others may be more, um, more, more societal, mm. uh, cultural, you know, as far as don't, uh, you know, don't try to get, don't leave your lane basically, you know? Um, so, <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, as far as like social class and what have you back, back in the middle ages and what have you, mm. um, and so, uh, there was, you know, there was that imperative, um, as well to have that kind of lesson or moral of the story. Hmm. So, so could they be a form of, con- a form of control? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, certainly a form of education. Sure. Cause when you. Depends on who's doing the educating, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do change. Like, even, uh, uh, I don't have it here because there's no image or they'll, they'll be pointless. But I have these little books of fairy tales that uh, were from my grandmother's time. And and those things are brutal. Hmm. They, they are... <laughs> the, the, the writing is atrocious. I had this idea of making a podcast in 60 <laughs> stories. I don't say they're copyrighted or anything. And just, they're like these tiny, tiny books. It's called the uh, Lesson from Ivina, like the Little Ant Collection. And it's tiny, tiny booklets with just like 20 pages and illustrations. And it takes five minutes to tell. Uh, but I, I can't translate because it's so archaic. But anyway, it's maybe an idea. But they are <laughs> brutal. And they are a combination of both... Um, famous grim tales, but also with Greek mythology in the mix. And it's such a mix. But um, there's no there's no plot to them. There's just good character, bad character, horrible thing happens. These are for children, by the way. Um, <laughs> one of them, just the two little shepherds found, I don't know, a, a golden flute and the um, one of his brothers got jealous and then killed them and stole the flute and just bizarre stuff like like this. And um, I think they did a re-edition of it then later in the eighties or nineties, where there were you know the same stories but a lot less <laughs> explicit. <laughs> you know there, there was a lot less killings and torture and because um, there are torture as well. It's so I, I guess they do change. Same message, same story, just just a little bit toned down. And um, I wonder why that is as well. Cautionary tales, maybe just um, yeah, you know, yeah. way to, yeah. to 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 scare kids into not doing the the wrong thing, like kill their their siblings. Like yeah, don't don't kill <laughs> don't your siblings. <laughs> Bad things happen. <laughs> I, I guess could it be that fairy tales still exist? That they're still, uh, you know, they've they've even specific story t- start, uh, fairy tales have lasted the test of time because all those times change and cultures change and ideas change. Are humans essentially the same? Are we 
I mean, when you break it all down, are we are we just kind of the same as we've been? Do the same stories appeal to us, especially as kids? We're more of a blank slate. Are we essentially the same as we've been for however many years? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, it's you know, I I don't think um, the human race has um, changed that much in the past uh, couple thousand years. <laughs> um, we're uh, we're starting to maybe tip that scale with all this uh, integrated technology, but um, that's still new, you know, really new in the big scheme of things. And uh, yeah, love- we're, we're the same. Uh, the same species <laughs> yeah I, I think um, so I think story wise we are pretty much the same as we were since the Bronze Age since you know there were records of these stories uh, of course they might have thought that, that, that it was worth recording them before and we just don't have those records but it was around that time mm-hmm. that the first records of uh, it's, you know so-called fairy tales or cautionary tales or myths kind of became a regular thing. And we still like them today. Yeah, I think every child is predisposed to to enjoy certain certain narratives. Everything else then it's learned. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, but- I think you can even make the point. You can even make the case that this integrated, <coughs> excuse me, this integrated technology will make us dumber. That will it'll actually be worse off for humans and not better. More of a Wally type of situation and not something that will. Because if if we have all this integration and we depend on it, then we do less. And as the generations go, the more it'll do for us, and the less mm-hmm. it will do, and the dumber we'll get. Yeah. So well, wh- yeah. yeah. Wally is in itself a cautionary tale, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, so not to not even go down that road. Uh, so yeah, you could look at it like that. Um, hopefully, you know. Well, it probably wouldn't happen in our lifetimes, but uh, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully, the uh, our uh, our uh, children and stuff can turn that around and <laughs> make better use of the uh, technology than TikTok, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah well <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yeah is it, even i never watched you know you could even no me either you can even even wonder is because you fairy tales that were were created and were were told through generations as a form of entertainment and that required some sort of storytelling ability and a way to to craft a story into teaching a lesson like a life lesson or a cautionary tale or, or entertaining or yeah. funny or whatever it may be. I, I wonder with, with technology, whether it's integrated or, or anything else with, with technology, are we losing our creativity? Is the level of creativity coming, dropping because we, everything comes so easy to us and we have so much, we have so much to, uh, to be entertained by that we, don't use our imagination as much as we used to that, you know, just in general. I mean, I wonder if, if. Yeah, I don't uh, know. It's hard to guess that because it's easy. It's easy for me to fall into old man mode and say, ah, kids these days, it's they're dumb, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, just, uh, 
as a blank blanket statement, you know, I, I, I'm hoping the creativity will manifest in other ways. That's what I, hope. Uh, I think it, the problem is, is that it takes less effort, um, mm-hmm. for the person learning the story and the person telling the story, because before it used to be, you know, um, well, before, like way before, before even television, you know, you just sit around and tell a story and you create that environment. And it was, it was a special occasion as well. So all your attention was focused on the narrative, on the narrator. Um, then later with cinema, you had the, the aid of, you know, you could actually see stuff happening, but you still, you are, when you are at the, at the movie theater, all your attention is on the screen. You are involved. And, now there's so much and you're just scrolling on the phone. You're not paying attention. There's a lot and there's not enough deaths. It's just part of that magic is kind of lost hmm. uh, over the years. And it's been quite fast. I mean, I, I can't imagine growing up now. Uh, if I, like, when, while growing up, I was starved for any sort of entertainment. Going to the cinema was a, such a luxury having a book was another luxury i wonder if Mm. now if i would care so much about those things if they were so readily available if i would even Mm. care about the story or narrative or mythology at all yeah yeah everything's so available that Mm -hmm. it's uh and all available Mm. all encompassing available that um it's, it can be quite difficult to pick and choose and, uh, you know, have something be when everything is meaningful, nothing is meaningful. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, that kind of a situation. It's, you know, that's what it feels like nowadays sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised I, I couldn't kind of get you guys to get into the yell at cloud moment. <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't think it's happened yet i think but i think over the course of a few generations if we if we stay on the same path and and everything becomes so easy and so available we won't have to create stories anymore because we can add some prompts to a an ai some ai and it'll pump out a story for us in 10 seconds yeah, but you would yeah. still have uh, to create a story that you would like based on the stories that came before. I don't know if yeah. even an AI could create something completely new from scratch that we then would enjoy or even understand. Yeah, or yeah, even if even if it gets to the point where they where an AI can do certain things that are that would be good enough for rapid mass consumption. Um, I, I think there would, even at that point, there would still be some sort of a turnaround, some sort of a, you know, a, a, a movement counter, a counterculture movement against that type of entertainment. And, you know, I think, I think it would, at some point it's going to, you know, it's going to, like it's not going to just be, mindless mindless robot stuff <laughs> I, I i hope so <laughs> yeah i hold a hope i think i guess so. <laughs> I, I don't want to be 
I don't want it the world also, to turn I mean, into grim duck. <laughs> <laughs> no, kind of like like it is with uh, with vinyl. You know, CDs were yeah. great, and now with all the digital stuff, you know, we would think that they would not be around anymore, but people still love them. So because it's but that they, yeah, tactile thing, collectible and, uh, thing, and hmm. just the act of putting yeah. the disc on the player, and I don't know, maybe in another generation or two. But I, I see a lot of younger people that still like enjoy doing that. So, yeah, no, my uh, my kids got some records and uh, they're fascinated with them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fascinated with the with a turntable and and vinyl. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's never kind gets of funny. <laughs> yeah. There are, but uh, there there are. Oh, go ahead. Just, yeah. There are a few. Speaking of music and physical media. There are a few uh, few YouTubers that I follow that talk, you know, music and physical media and that kind of sort of thing. And there, are, I've seen a couple of them recommend recently that if you are a collector, not so much vinyl because vinyl seems to be having a resurgence, at least a little bit. They are recommending you go out and buy physical media, like buy your favorites before it's gone, because yeah. it, they're, they're still selling, but nowhere near the way they used to. And it's every year it's dipping a little bit, so. It is a little depressing to think that we'll depend on streaming services for everything or things like Spotify. And we'll never really own anything because they can turn that switch off whenever they want to and yeah. you lose it. So for anyone out there yeah. who is collector, it might be if if you do want like, you know, your favorite albums or your favorite DVDs or whatever, it might be a good time to just have it just in case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you never know. It could be uh, something that's quite in demand at some point <laughs> if uh if they do take it away from the cloud or something like that you know it's uh yeah but uh but back to fairy tales <laughs> back to fairy tales <laughs> the, <laughs> we yeah. always get sidetracked um, yeah. oh i know that's great uh but the, the um i was just like looking at i i found some fairy tales that really went dark um, like even the, uh, like the original little red riding hood, um, originally she was just simply eaten by the wolf nice. as a, mm-hmm. as a comeuppance for her naivety. And I guess originally it was, it was like a moralized warning for, for, uh, for a young woman not to listen to strangers. <laughs> and so, you know, that's pretty dark. And of course, that has many different variations of uh, Little Red Riding Hood over the years, um, and uh, similarly, it was it was Snow White's mother who wanted to eat her lungs and liver, and she meets her comeuppance in the original story by dancing in agony in red hot iron shoes until she mm-hmm. falls down dead. Wow! <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, Snow White. She, I, she I, was, I got a whole bunch she, of other ones too. They're really dark. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it wasn't it the Little Mermaid that uh, the prince would make her dance on the new legs and it was agony for her and so. Hmm. Yes, um, mm-hmm. and the Little Mermaid, yeah, it's yeah she she goes to see which for the legs, um, so she can find the prince she saves from drowning, and then the sea witch tells her she'll die if she fails to get the kiss from her true love. 
tragically, the prince meets somebody else and marries her. And in a cruel twist, the, the witch gives the Little Mermaid one last chance. If she kills the prince, she'll be allowed to get her <laughs> tail back and return to her life under the sea. And in the end, she can't bring herself to murder her, so she jumps back into the sea to certain death and ends up as sea foam. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, uh, <laughs> that's even that's one version. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then and that's supposed to be a um a uh like a um a, an idea to show how noble self sacrifice could be. Huh. <laughs> yeah. All right. In a tale to warn young readers about the dangers of having unrealistic dreams and even trying to break out of the social class you were born into. That's uh, Anderson's original uh, take on that. (laughs) So, listen up, kids. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was just reading the the Pinocchio rundown. Uh, So... Let's see, uh, Jimmy the Talking Cricket, a key character in the movie, is killed off in one of the opening chapters. Yep. And, and uh, <laughs> Pinocchio doesn't have any remorse for killing him. Uh, there's a bit where... Yeah, he, yeah. He's tired of Jiminy's moralizing <laughs> and advice, so he kills him. <laughs> and then there's a bit where Pinocchio steals some gold coins, gets caught, and is hanged for his crimes. Uh, he originally intended the author originally intended the story to end with the puppet hanging from a tree, dying, seeing his work mm-hmm. as a powerful mor- morality tale for young readers. But his editors had other ideas. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is, the the, the Disney movie, the original one, is kind of creepy, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit. Yeah, well, when I was a kid watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, but not that dark <laughs> you know <laughs> but still uh yeah some of the stuff was is really dark <laughs> <laughs> the uh the ugly duckling um the duckling is not only is not only laughed at but is subjected to some pretty horrendous abuse though this serves as so, serves to make the happy ending even more satisfying in the original tale, it's not just his fellow ducklings who laugh at the small bird. The whole of the barnyard joins in the abuse, too. At times, the taunts mocking his supposed ugliness even turn into violence. Then, in a twist that's left out of modern versions, the animals the animals tormentors are almost all slaughtered. The ugly duckling, ugly duckling manages to find refuge with a kindly old lady, but her cat is also a bully and forces him out of her home. You just can't catch a break. <laughs> Jeez. And what is the moral of that story? Yeah. Don't be ugly. <laughs> I'm, I need to get my hands on, on those originals. Um. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, don't be ugly. It's, if you are, then you deserve it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it does, I don't see the. Uh, well, when he sees a group of swans, he expects to be shunned and mocked. Instead, he is welcomed. When he looks in the water at his yeah. reflection, the reason is clear: he has become a beautiful swan himself. Oh. Yeah. 
and and so all his tormentors were were killed and eaten, slaughtered. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so everything works out. That's yeah. great. So you know, all's well ends well. You know. So why? Because it was a swan instead of a duck, and everyone was mocking him because uh, they were jealous of him or something. Oh, I really need to go and find that story. <clears throat> yeah, I think he was he was a swan the whole time, and he was abused because people were jealous of him, and he thought he was a duck. Mm-hmm. But when he was able to look at mm-hmm. his reflection, he realized, oh, I'm a swan, so it's okay. So I'm not really that ugly after all. I'm okay. So. He wanted to be a he wanted to be a pop star somewhere. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had a, a long acting career after that. <laughs> oh man! Oh, and then there's the fox and the hound, and there's some. Yeah, yeah, that one's where the uh, the farmer finds and his dogs find fox family, kill his mate, kill his children, uh, and then. In the original version, the, the fox dies of stress and exhaustion all alone in the woods, while the farmer's favorite dog gets old and needs to be shot and put out of its misery. <laughs> it's like, what? It, it, it kind of makes yeah. you wonder. I mean, I guess life, I mean, we, we are quite spoiled, okay? I, I was, because fairy tales, like we were saying, that they adapt with time and society. So they are been gradually toned down and you know less killings and torture yeah but if that was the standard kind of imagine if you had to prepare a child for you know for that sort of what sort of world were you living in but i guess it was a lot harsher i mean you could die a lot easier and if you lived in a small community uh, just if you stood out just a little bit, you would get shown, you would get mugged. And, and I, I guess, yeah, yeah, it's probably proportional. Yeah, you could say, I mean, a lot of these darker versions of the fairy tales probably got darker because maybe people needed to, to tell their kids, don't go out in those woods. Because really this really dark stuff is going to happen, you know. You know, you, you don't go to the because you're going to woods. You're going to find the witch's, the witch's gingerbread house, and she's going to boil you up and eat you. And that's, you know, so <laughs> uh, that's um. So yeah, it, you know, the, w- during tough times, uh, the tales probably got tougher, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, as a bigger warning. Um, Especially when you look at the tales of Rapunzel and Sleeping Beauty, and mm-hmm. uh, you know there were warnings to young women: don't go, don't go falling in love with the wrong guy. Bad, th- nothing but bad things will happen, and uh, that was part of the, the you know the the warning. Hmm. <laughs> I think we've talked about this before, uh, Suzanne. Another, I forget what conversation it was, but we talked about the. And you mentioned how spoiled we are, and how. Kid, kids now the the fairy tales we tell now are more watered down, and aren't as mm-hmm. harsh as they once were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Yeah, even just reading my grandma's uh, little stories, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you we'll get into whether that's good or those days with those stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll get into I'll try and have a couple bad, but, translated. Yeah. Well, say glad you can join us. 
Hello. Yeah, hi, sorry. I just finished the other conversation and I was debating whether to go to bed or see what you guys were up to. And when I saw the illustrious guest list, I thought I got to put my head in. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did. That's an Good to see you, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> we were just discussing uh, fairy tales and the, the harsh fairy tales of yester yesteryear and how they've been watered down and not quite as harsh or violent as they were before whether that's a good or a bad thing because i think uh kids now are aren't uh kind of feel like it's not good to subject kids or younger younger audiences to violence or to really anything that would make them sad i sorry for being late but i'll tell you in my school we somehow have ended up working with a very illustrious um, child psychologist in Spain. He, like, the kind of guy that's always on the news, on the newspapers, on the radio, TV. And he is actually a strong proponent of not sugarcoating things to kids and that dealing with rejection, seeing the ugly side of life is a necessary part of growing up. Um, turning into a well-rounded adult. So whether you agree or disagree, that seems to be the prevalent wisdom of the people that prepared to know better. So maybe we should feed kids the green fairy tales as they were written. <laughs> I agree. I think Steve is uh, muted. Steve, so. muted yeah. You've muted. <laughs> Sorry, I was coughing. Uh, I, I just wonder where, where where that came from, where that changed from telling kids story like Pinocchio or, or the stories we were just talking about and having these really harsh stories that I think taught kids early on that if you, you mess around, you're going to find out. Uh, and now it's not so much the case of when did that change? When did that become, we don't want to... We don't want to trouble anybody. Like, let's just make everything really easy and and happy. Well, somewhere in the last thirty years, and mm. you know, when when I grew up, we, you know, <laughs> I used to live in a sort of block of flats compound. There was um, there was like an empty plot of land, and then there was another compound next to it. And the pastime was for the gangs of kids to just meet in this sort of, uh, you know, uh, open plot of land and just throw rocks at each other and have fights with each other. That's what we did as kids. You grew up in the streets and you walked around the city and you got mugged and you got up to no good and so on. And then I wouldn't even dream of letting my kids cross the road. Um, I think... Some somewhere along the way, the attitudes have changed majorly, and I don't know what prompted that. I don't know why that is the case, but that is certainly the case. Yeah, I, you know, Jose, that's that's a good point. Because uh, I because I remember growing up, and when I got home from school, I left the house. I was gone, like until. It got dark when supper was ready. And I there was were no mobile phones gone for your parents to there know were, where you were. There were no we mobile phones. There were no, you know, 
I wouldn't even have heard a megaphone, you know, so, <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, and, and our parents just trusted us to come back, you know, when we were hungry. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then, you know, so, but that, uh, but nowadays, um, you're right. Having your kid not visible, not in the area, um, is a scary thing for a lot of parents. Um, and I wonder if that changed with a, with the a greater awareness of what's wrong in the world with, uh, with news outlets constantly feeding bad news all the time. Um, with first the, uh, first the advent of cable te- television made everybody more aware of things. And then of course, uh, you know, cell phones and, and notifications and, and everything else. Um, and I wonder if the greater awareness prompted the greater fear of your kids not being able to have more independence going out and, uh, it must be that at some point there's some psychological thing around it. There's a it's a well-established fact that for some reason sometimes a particular kind of story catches on. Yeah, and then similar stories that would have gone unreported start to get reported because they catch on and they become. I think so. Maybe at some point. I don't know. Obviously, for us Europeans, it's different. But in the US, school shootings seem to happen every other weekend. Um, I don't know if in Europe, uh, you know, child kidnapping seems to happen every other weekend. Mm. And all of a sudden, we have these, or well, I suppose I'm a parent as well, we have this accentuated sense of danger that may be more perceived than justified. And we are overprotective of our children. Yeah. Do you think, and I wonder this all the time, and I don't, I don't have an answer, just food for thought, but I wonder, is the world safer today than it was when we were kids running around doing whatever it is, throwing rocks at each other? Is it safer today than it was then? It, it's just that we didn't know, all we didn't have access to all the things that were happening. So we know now we're hyper aware of everything that happens now. Everything is within a minute or two. We know exactly what's happening yeah. So hyper aware. So yeah. is it, is it really, is it a safer now that we're just, a, we just know more or is it more dangerous now than it was then? I think it's more sanitized. We live in a more yeah, sanitized. Um, but I think, sorry, Jared. No, you're right. No, because I think um, like particularly in Spain of the last five, eight years, there's been cases of um, gender violence, um, been a couple of cases of uh, group sort of rape of women. And now you would have thought that every woman is at risk of being gang raped if they go out at night. Um, And it's just, you know, I have a colleague that cried when she got told she was going to have a baby girl because to bring up a girl in this world is like, you know, and I think it's like, whoa, like these things happen, but I'm sure they've always happened and that doesn't make it many less um, disgusting. But I don't think that, I think, I think we're even more aware these days 
of how we should conduct ourselves and what's right and what's wrong. And certain behaviors are not as tolerated or as accepted as they were 20 years ago. So I think in a sense, maybe the world is safer, but we just perceive it to not be. Yeah, I, I think you're I, right. I don't know, it, like... It's um, if you if you look at the statistics, the actual statistics, the crime statistics, and actual data, everything is down. As you know, as far as all the bad stuff happening in the world, but everything is also super reported and super. We're hypersensitive to all of it, and uh, it, that that's the difference. Yeah, I, I mean, growing up, um, it, it was like you, Jared. Like when I was a kid, up until puberty, then let's put the caveat there. I would stay outside. Uh, I would still live in town. I would stay outside playing with the kids in the streets, no problem. Uh, but I guess there was less traffic, but we were aware of the traffic. And uh, my parents, you know, they would always, don't take, you know, sweets from strangers, don't get into vans, don't uh, go with strangers. Don't. We had all those, uh, you know, rules that we followed because we knew what happened to kids who didn't. There was always... <clears throat> we were aware of stories of kids that would disappear, of girls that would be raped, and so and so we, we were aware, and you took you take the risk. Um, I was approached more than once, didn't take any sweets. One time I thought I was being followed, and got in panic. I just knocked the first door, pretending that it was my own, that I just arrived, and then, oh, sorry, I'm mistaken, and then ran back. Again, we, we, we were... I guess a bit more um, prepared for those situations as well. Then I grew up, the moment I hit puberty, the walls closed around me. My parents decided, no, no, you you can't go out at all because uh, boys eventually. But it was never safe for women again after when, you know, my 20s. And many times I saw girls putting themselves in situations and it was just unnecessary. And now the only difference I see is that people don't think we can take care of ourselves. And, you know, so sometimes I guess the only way to actually to, to go out and, and have fun and just be independent is to take a risk. And it's not, and but the, the but society, even what is defined as risk, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, girls crying wolf, um, and just that doesn't help anything. And I know that I am digressing, but just is a perception of what is dangerous, the process, the perception of um, how do you deal with that danger? It's everything is an overreaction. Things just escalate so fast um, that I understand that sometimes for for a parent, the best solution would be, well, just don't, just don't go out, just don't this, just don't wear that, don't, 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 or just protect women because, you know, they can't take care of themselves, protect the children because they definitely can't take care of themselves. And uh, that's not productive. (laughs) I don't think that's, that's the best way to deal with things because uh, 
there would always going to be bad people out there. And we just need to be prepared for them. It's not by hiding away and looking at our screens all day at home that, um, yeah, are we safe? <laughs> can, can we just live like that? We might just be plugged in the whole time. Yeah. That was a long rant, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, but I think also think because everything has become, I don't know, more professional, kids yeah, have lost the ability get involved, to, yeah. so, to socialize. Like hmm. when I was a kid, if I wanted to play soccer for my fellow Americans in the chat, you would just go out to the town square, meet all the kids, and use your T-shirts as goalposts and play yeah. soccer. Mm -hmm. Now, nobody plays soccer in the streets. You go to a soccer club and you're part of a team and you're going to spend money and it's all a lot more. The whole, the whole sports thing has become much more professional from a very young age and everything is structured. So my children move from... They live in, in, in a permanent state of structure. They are either at school or they are at the athletics club or they are with their parents. Yeah. Then, I mean, obviously, they are five and eight years old. So they haven't experienced yet being unsupervised with their friends and handling yeah. themselves that way. Uh, maybe no, it's too right. young for them, but at some point, not that far in the future, in the next six, seven years, my kid, my oldest one, presumably will want to start going out at night. And we, we all need to make that transition, him, his mom, myself, and him. We cannot go from being in rigid structures all the time to here, go out and come back at 2, 3 in the morning. It's just... And so, that's yeah, when right. problems it, it will could, happen. Yeah, when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, because we would, you know, when we were kids, when I was 12 or whatever, uh my brother and I had a paper route, so we would leave and we would find other kids on the route and have a have an impromptu game of football, uh, American football for our European <laughs> listeners. And, <laughs> and, uh, we would have that, that impromptu game that would, that would, you know, we would, you know, pick teams and, and play. And, um, yeah, you don't see that anymore. You don't see, that that kind of um, er, like you said, Jose, everything's structured and uh, everything has to be planned and everybody has schedules and and uh, there's not time for there's a there's a certain beauty, I think, for kids in boredom in order mm. to mm -hmm. have a certain in order to create spontaneity in a creation of doing something and uh I, I don't think there's enough of that type of boredom today. my kids don't know how to do that mm. especially yeah. with because cell phones stop that from happening yeah social media stops you from being bored and mm -hmm. so you lose that that beauty of boredom that creativity of boredom i agree 100 percent and, and what do you do when, when you are one. bored? 
if if you are outside and you are bored, what you do? You observe people. You learn. Yes. And that's something. No, but you don't have a phone. Like, as a kid, how many hours I spent with my best friend. We had this little corner in in town. And we just sit there after, after school and, and talk and just watch people. How much I learned yeah. just by observing. And not just for writing or anything, just, just by observing people. Hours, hours of that. And talking, and it, it was brilliant. I don't, I don't see a kid or teenager do that at all today. Nope. I'm so. assuming we've all been kids here without a dime in our pockets, but spending the whole evening out with your friends, yep. just walking yeah. around town, walking around, window shopping, just, just being sitting in the garden. Yeah, yep, just being in the presence of your friends, talking yeah. shit. Exactly. And now you see them. You see the kids. They're all sitting with the phones in their hands under a tree, all doing whatever it is that they're playing. Um, so, yeah, there's a certain innocence lost. Or there's a certain... Um, I don't think it's innocence. It's, it's the opposite. I think people are a lot more naive, not innocent, naive now. Um, because... Uh, by doing nothing, by just observing being outside, by learning how to be on, on your own, learning how to defend yourself, how to navigate around other people. You are building character. You are developing the skills to, you know, if the, sit the situation, if a dangerous situation occurred, you can deal with it. You know, we, we didn't have cell phones. We couldn't call the police. <laughs> we didn't have, you know, uh, mm. even if when so, someone, you know, got hurt, you know, you, you'd have to go and knock on doors or find the next payphone or just, mm. you have to be proactive. You couldn't just sit around and click a button. Yeah. Yeah. I got bit by a dog uh, when I was like 13 or whatever. And I had to <laughs> manage to get home somehow before I could before I could tell somebody and go yeah. get it treated, you know. But uh, you know that was a, uh, a, a a terrifying ride home on the bike <laughs> <laughs> to have a bleeding leg from a dog bite, and uh, you know it's you learned how to deal with it. You just had to. You had to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Now nowadays, it's uh, encountering a dog in the first place would be rare. And then, you know, and then you had the cell phone right there, right. You know, you'd be far filming getting bit by a dog, yeah. but. <laughs> so, so, this, this, sorry, sorry. This, this fairy tales. So why do we still keep reading them to our kids? I still read my kids, the three little pigs and the three Billy goats graph and, the gingerbread man and what version? The, all this. the grim duck version or the, <laughs> the modern version? Oh, Steve. No, oh, we're, Steve. we were reading uh, the original, the original stories of like Pinocchio, the little mermaid, the ugly duckling. And it's, they're pretty dark. They're very dark. Yeah. yeah. Pretty bleak. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think they, they taught important lessons, important life lessons to get the shit out of kids that, they wouldn't kill their siblings after they were certain stories. So, you know, it's, it was a learning experience. It was a learning, uh, learning, uh, learning process. 
Yes, Snow White wasn't particularly a cheerful story, was it? Oh no, that's not. <laughs> but but they, I suppose they still have some. They've demonstrated some staying power. They're yeah. still selling some way or another. I think every kid still has had them read to them. Is it because of the court they are trying to do something meaningful? Yeah, yeah. We were we were speculating earlier about uh, the um, you know the, they're used as morality tales. They're used as warnings a lot. A lot of them are warnings, you know, uh, for, um, for societal warnings or mm. danger warnings of some sort. Um, and uh, those, and we also were saying how they, how they've constantly been changing over the, over the thousands of years that they've been around. But to Steve's point, even even if today we have the sanitized version instead of the green dark version, you know the OGs of green dark. Has the purpose <laughs> been perverted, or, or the morality hasn't changed of the story, has it? And the delivery has changed. I think the 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 tone and, and the morality of the story. as well. I think. Like, yeah, so you you actually think that the so the core of the Little Mermaid has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Drastically. If, if... And, and, and enlighten me. Well, Jared, you want to fill uh... in on the original? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. And if you discuss this, no, already, no, it's, it's worth hearing twice. <laughs> no, 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 because there's someone listening to the podcast at home or something. Let's not, let's not pick, pick, pick another one. You haven't talked about then. Oh. Well, for all right, we got. Go ahead, George. Go we ahead. got um, we got Rapunzel. Okay. Uh, in the uh, the darker version here, Rapunzel, uh, you know, the prince climbs up her hair into yeah. the tower. Rapunzel gets pregnant. The witch learns of her romance in a fit of rage, cuts off her hair, which the witch then uses to entice the prince up the tower. And as soon as he reaches the window, the witch leans out, pushes the poor prince. He falls into a rose bush and with thorns impaling his eyes. Uh, wow. That's that's Fuck. the that's the darker version, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's that's another one. We haven't we haven't we haven't gone over that one yet. <laughs> so so hang, on, so hang on. So that that that's grim dark OG Rapunzel. <laughs> and was was the palatable twenty first version ending of the story? What's what's that? What was the palatable twenty first version ending of the story? Uh let's see. What was the so, latest version? Something she, about the prince climbs the tower, saves the princess, or something like that. I don't yeah, know. that she he saves her. You know, they they anyway. marry and are happily ever after. Ever yeah. after. I'm sure yeah. she kept her hair. <laughs> something like that. Not me. That's a bit of a change of the story, isn't it? Yeah, but and, uh, I, I'm just going to mention the the Little Mermaid because that one at least it was a complete 180 from you know you should learn your place and not dream too high etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you have the <laughs> Disney version of you know follow your dreams everything's possible you know go for right. it mm -hmm. that's a yeah right a 180 um, you're right so <laughs> uh, yeah is that helpful I don't know. Which one would be more no. helpful? 
I mean, one's one's a warning and one's encouraging. So it depends on what your goal is, I guess, you know. Yeah, but not not everyone can be a princess. Marry the prince. Could I? What? <laughs> <laughs> but but then do we do we can we blame America oh. for repurposing and repackaging? No, I'm asking the question. I'm not. I'm not being facetious. I'm, I'm asking the question. Can we blame America for repackaging these traditional dark? European tales and repurposing them for the American dream, whereas instead of you know the very classist European system, know your place, don't have dreams above your station, to the land of dreams, you know you you know mm. come and you can become and be whatever you want to dream or you can dream. Is that maybe that that's interesting. Yeah, it could, it could yeah. be that it, it appeals to that that uh, those that kind of outlook, and it could also be just commercially that it would reach a wider audience and more people would buy it, and then make more money. So, <laughs> which is a very which, which is a very American thing, yeah, isn't it? I mean, possible too. Well, horror has a, a big audience. Those would be excellent horror movies. <laughs> Why are they not popular? <laughs> well, well, I'm sure they've been done in some form. They've been done. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that that is a good point. Blame because back. we uh, obviously most of it's changing a little bit now, but most of popular culture post depression, Second World War is American. We've we have imported a lot mm. of American culture and ideas. Yeah. into Europe. I think that that's changing a little bit, but maybe between 1945 and 1990, we imported a lot of stuff. No, you're okay. right there, uh, Jose, because the uh, like pre, pre-World pre War II, America was doing its best to try to be European. And, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, and then post-World War II, you're right, a, a, a lot of that switched. As the Americans became, as America became the superpower, you know, um, in the, the, you know, the super industrialization. And, uh, and so you're right about that. And so that's, that may be part of it in that, um, the American dream was, you know, at least, at least on the surface was becoming realized in the pursuit of, happiness and mm-hmm. in the uh and the um and the the growth and expansionism that they that they experienced back then uh was seen to be a a uh, a positive thing that you could achieve this dream and make it in america at that point um and it certainly that was also the advent in time where walt disney got big and started breaking out and uh presenting these these some of these fairy tales in his version and um it that's it probably all ties in together there just because it's fun let's talk about hansel and gretel really quick okay (laughs) so that's gonna be that's gonna be so fucked up the original one come on i don't know but i'm assuming that the witch Eats them or something like that. Oh, it gets worse. And they don't. Ca- 
Oh. <laughs> uh, so the two ch- the two children get lost in the woods. Uh, you know, they find the witch and they escape the house that the witch is trying to kill them and eat them. And later in uh, so uh, the friend in the French version that is believed to be the what the modern fairy tale is based on, the pair actually end up stumbling across the devil himself. He is far smarter than the witch. He captures the children as they try to escape and then builds a sawhorse to execute them on. In a sick twist, the brother and sister pretend not to know how they can get on the sawhorse, so the devil's wife offers offers to demonstrate. When she's on there, the youngsters use the saw to slash her throat and escape to their freedom. (laughs) Wow. Awesome. They win. <laughs> They're pretty resourceful. I think that's right. That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I was going to say. Teach See, kids to that's how you teach kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take care of yourself. Do it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and, what, and what's the what's the what's the common socially accepted version now? Oh, they just escaped the gingerbread house that the witch is trying to eat them, and they live ha- happily ever after. They have a after as well. Don't yeah. they burn the witch? They still uh, often. That that was my version. Yeah, sometimes they put the witch in the oven. Oh wow! And, uh, oh yeah, that's the one I grew up with. Burn yeah. up, yeah, yeah. Yeah. burn her up, yeah. Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> no, mm. kids these days they can't even have their revenge. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, we haven't done the darkest one. That I've come across right. yet. Oh, hang on. Let me get a, let me let me get a drink. I'm, I'm, I'm I need this. Bear with me. <laughs> oh, did you? So, did you see Little, Little Red Riding Hood? Holy crap! Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm looking at Sleeping Beauty. It's really disturbing. Hmm. Oh, I wait till Jose gets back because he wants to hear this. <laughs> Where, but, uh, where are you finding all those things? I need to. Uh, what? Let me uh, let me send the the link in the chat. Yeah, this is okay. uh, there was a couple places that I found some of these, but uh, I'm, I I know some of the ones Steve said were some of the ones I already had too. So I you probably found some oh, website. I, I, but, uh, I yeah. found. Yeah, there's loads. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so you okay? You ready, Jose? This is this is this one. This Sleeping Beauty one's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> Instead of um, giving Sleeping Beauty a chase kissed, the a king comes by, carries her to her lodge bed, and rapes her. Indeed, it's only after she's given birth to twins and then begin feeding on her bosom does Sleeping Beauty actually awaken from her long slumber. And then it doesn't end there. The king was a married man when he assaulted Sleeping Beauty. His wife, the queen, ends up hearing about this illegitimate twins and wants them not only kill, but also try to devise a way of making her unfaithful husband eat the dead babies. In the end, the evil queen's plan is foiled, and bizarrely, the royal couple separate, and the king ends up marrying Sleeping Beauty. So, despite the fact that that union began with him raping his future wife... Jeez. Wow, sorry. Are you sure that's a legit website and it's not someone fucking up with like traditional fairy tales? Uh, no. Yeah, no. It's, it's No, I, I didn't know about this one, but uh, the other ones, yeah. So, yeah, wow. 
<laughs> I'm not sure what the uh, the moral was there. Jeez. Let's unpick that. Go. Let's unpick that. Well, it's not that different <laughs> from uh, you know all the well Zeus and Era how she would always go about punishing the women he would have affairs with. Uh, you know, it's that's true. Same dynamic. Yeah. Maybe if the queen had given the king what the king wanted, he wouldn't have had to go and do the Maybe. thing on Snow White. So the model is men always get what they want, one way or the other. Yeah. I don't know who the audience of this podcast is, so I'm trying to reframe what I want to say. Go for it. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there are certain things you have to be willing to do to keep the marriage and the relationship ticking along nicely, isn't it? Compromise. It's all about compromise, isn't it? <laughs> I buy you flowers on Valentine's Day. You be nice to me, you know. right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's compromise, isn't it? <laughs> Let me go for a run, yeah. and, you know. Right? In your case, Jose. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, that is indeed my case. Yes. yes. No, but Suzanne is right. There is a lot of uh, mythology that is actually disturbingly similar to that um, as far as gods and mortals go. So that's uh, that's very interesting. Did you read the, the original Red Riding Hood? Why are you smiling, Jared? <laughs> it's just funny. It's just funny. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, that's the warning for pretty young women to not listen to strangers. That the uh, the Red Riding Hood. So, uh, so in most versions of the tale, the wolf eats the grandmother whole. He then dresses her in a bonnet and waits in her bed. Little Red Riding Hood is tricked into believing the wolf is her elderly relative and joins him in bed where she is also eaten. Most famously in the widely read version written by Charles Perrault, published in 19, er, 1697, there is no happy ending. Nobody comes to rescue her and cut her from the wolf's stomach. More disturbingly, in Perrault's version, the girl strips naked before getting into bed. A clear indication that the fairy tale was originally a a morality tale warning girls of wily seducers. When the Brothers Grimm penned their version more than a century later, such sexual overtones were removed and versions where the wolf serves Little Red pieces of her own mother, her own grandmother to eat were completely ignored. Instead, they gave the tale a happy ending with the brave and handsome huntsman saving the day by killing the wolf and cutting both the grandmother and her granddaughter free from his stomach. Oh, 1697 is the original Perot one. Oh, wow. These things are a lot older than that I was your takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, after after the true version of Snow White. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, Jesus. But surely these things, I suppose, the morality of the time was different. So, were they intended? To be read for to children. Oh yeah, 
Although, although I suppose that around that time, as soon as a woman was fertile, they got given away in marriage, isn't it? So girls used to be married off very, very young. Uh, you know, it, 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 like I, you know, like we said earlier, I think that it was uh, definitely warnings. There were definitely warnings. They were they were saying, "Don't, don't do this. Don't go outside the village. Don't go wandering out in the woods. Don't, you know." Uh, so they were pretty um, grim warnings for children not to do certain things. Yeah, I think you have to keep kids um, scared because it was the survival thing. You have to keep them from wandering too far away to be eaten by a wolf or uh, get lost and not be found again. Because you couldn't exactly just call someone to come, you know, I want to add a pin, come and pick me up. It was, you know, if you wander too far, then you're probably dead. And uh, interestingly enough, little uh, Red Riding Hood, there are there are some versions that um, hint towards bestiality, in uh, in which Red Riding Hood uses her body to save herself from death, thus consummating her love with the wolf on the very sheets upon which her grandmother was killed. See, those uh, that's, that's <clears throat> I wonder if some of these were used as some some sick like that's a little far. <laughs> no, but I suppose. Maybe to bypass church morality that was so imperative at the time, the only way to get some kind of spiciness going on was to hide it like that? Or have we misinterpreted history and these were properly, you know, horrifying, grim, dark stories that got mistranslated at some point as fairy tales that were not actually meant to be tales for kids. It wasn't that long ago, those versions at least. 1697? That's pretty fucking long ago. I mean, I'm sure there were tons of different versions uh, floating around. You know, like like we were saying that these things have been around for thousands of years and they've been changed over the years and they've been retold and they were originally oral traditional stories mm-hmm. so that you know that there's uh the the uh, the amounts of the 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 amount of versions that there are are probably just off the charge numerous you know mm-hmm. uh, i think those that website that we we've been quoting is specifically like some of the worst versions <laughs> that there are you know I hope that's I the hope. worst versions, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, so of course so there's, the there's also much we're, of it. We're between. mostly going to blame Disney for this, then, <laughs> making you know pretty versions for of, the, of these Yeah, the pretty mm. versions. Yeah, mm. yeah, sure. Well, I don't, I'm not sure that if they made the original version of Pinocchio, that parents would be lining up with their kids to watch that. So, I guess they had to. I had to make it something fun. What? So it's interesting because parents tell their had been telling their kids these stories for hundreds of years, but when it's in a in a in a movie, why did they change it when it's a movie versus something they tell their kids before bed? 
Well, uh, for the for you know in in the, I mean in the case of Disney, you had to make a product, you had to make um, something sellable. Uh, movies weren't allowed to show anything bad back then. Um, they had point. a strict code mm-hmm. about what could be on the screen. Uh, and, you know, so you're getting into animation and you have a, a certain, there's only certain things you can do. And, um, and your animation, of course, was a fledgling thing and was considered more marketable towards younger audiences mm. than, uh, than, you know, serious quote movies, you know, but, uh, and so, you know, that's, that makes perfect sense that they would be. Um, lighter in nature than than uh, some of your more you know more grim type fairy tales. Hmm. That's a good point. What was considered mm-hmm. vulgar or violent? I mean, even in the fifties, like Alvis mm-hmm. shaking his hips was like, oh my god, it's you know yeah. clutching pearls. You know, it's so mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so and, and it's one thing to tell the kids that the wolf ate the grandmother or. They cut up the, the belly to to take it out. Then actually see it. Go to the cinema. Oh well, let's see <laughs> the wolf eating. The, just yeah, the whole different experience. Maybe that's why. I was just wondering if it's the time to go full circle and stop producing these movies as the stories were originally conceived. I, I think some have tried. I, I I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if you found some, you know, horror type stories out there that, uh, you know, that were um, not uh, not for kids, <laughs> rated R, so to speak. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, you got like, the action film. Was it Snow White and the Huntsman or something like that? Yeah, you know, that's that's a. Uh, stylized action type movie that that was a a version of snow white you know and i'm sure there's all kinds of other versions out there that yeah uh, there's the horror version know about. which is brilliant but it's still not as yeah. bad as the original <laughs> right but you know something created for some under different audience yeah I, th- I think people would would widely reject these types of stories if it was had anything to do with like these classics even like Look at like comic book characters that, like in, in certain movies, Batman kills people and people just lost it because Batman doesn't kill people. It's, it's a fictional character. Like, calm down. So, I think you you if you would all these people who grew up with these stories, if they read about Pinocchio being hanged from a tree, left for dead, I think, or have his feet burned off, I think I don't know that they would enjoy it too much after knowing a certain version for this song. I don't know that they'd. Did enjoy it too much. But what if you came up with some sort of advertising line, like, you know, Pinocchio, if you've never seen him before? Sorry, I hit the button on accident. <laughs> yeah, you did. I was trying to mute myself and I hit the wrong button. Sorry, that was my mistake. But we're, we're on again. So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> No, like I said, I was wondering whether if you came up with some, like a new set of movies, like the the original fairy tales. Yeah, but you can't you can't really do 
because the, the, the problem is that the, there's even the ones that were written down first in 1697 and 1700s are still not original. They're just their versions of passed down oral traditional fairy tales. So what's what's original, you know? Um, you know, so that, that that's always going to pop up and everybody's these like there's there is no original really it there's every there's different versions that different people make uh, no and i suppose the Walt disney movies are so ingrained in the yeah uh, common psyche that even the real life remakes are not free of controversy aren't they because they've changed it, it, certain yeah. things in some of them walt disney was definitely the most successful versions of some of these fairy mm. tales uh, but I don't think there's any real way to determine what's original, you know. So that's the beauty of fairy good. stories, though. You know? <laughs> I've been here trying to think of any modern fairy tales that are not adaptations, because the world now changed enough, you know. Uh, to allow for that, why? Uh, well, sure Peter Pan, I think, would be the most. Peter Pan, yeah, the most it's not one. that modern, but yeah, it's maybe. No, but we're not going to call Harry Potter a fairy tale, are we? No. <laughs> well, um, is that the, is, is that the Peter Pan or the very hungry caterpillar? Uh, that's that's a good example. When was that first published? The what the very hungry caterpillar? Yeah, I think it's late seventies. Okay. Which at one point I could tell my son without looking at the book. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. I don't know what, what it depends on. Yeah. What do you consider a fairy tale that would be created recently? Um, you know, is like what's what's Winnie the Pooh? Is that a uh, is that a fairy tale? Alice in Wonderland. What is yeah, Alice in Wonderland? Um, you know that uh, interesting. Interestingly enough, there's a lot mm -hmm. of like in the 19th century. There's a lot of stories with fairies in them that you know the the where people go to fairy land you know and they they uh, it's like kind of like portal fantasies i guess um are they considered fairy tales in the classic sense that we know fairy no, tales I, or I think to be a fairy tale just... you have to be able to tell it it has to be short and not going to recite the right, novel yeah. uh and so what at what point did a lot of these fairy tales then transform into stories about fairies in a different land or something like that? You know, it's it's interesting. It, it's the same, I guess, the same question we had about the difference between mythology and, and fairy tales, you know. but mm -hmm. uh, I suppose possibly after the Industrial Revolution... Because children's tales are a luxury good, so to speak. You would only buy your kid 
children's books, if there are enough kids that can actually read, and you've got enough disposable income. So I'm assuming for the vast majority of people that were struggling to make ends meet on a pre-industrial revolution time, these fairy tales were, were Jared was alluding to before, these oral traditions with a deep warning, moralizing side to them. The second people have a bit more money, and the second you have a bit more money for fun, not just to survive, then a new market opens up, which is children's books. Mm. And maybe that's why you get things like Alice in Wonderland and these portal fairy tales that lack that moralizing intent in them. Mm. Right. Yeah, and more geared towards and as entertainment be- and educational property. Yeah. And, and, and as education became compulsory by law rather than just the uh, just the, the remit of the upper classes who were the only ones that could afford an education. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Yep. Yeah. So I guess it could be in a way that they were a form of control. Entertainment. I guess is entertainment in general a form of control? A form of it's a big distraction. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It can be used as oh, such. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I get that. I just, I'm not entirely sure. I think you need to elaborate a lot more on that, Steve. I think entertainment, I think, is is a is a way to distract us from what's really happening in the world, whether it's uh, yeah. whether it's um, whatever the case may be. There's always some distraction to distract us from from really seeing what's going on whether it's good or it's bad or whether it's yeah. someone doesn't think or some entity doesn't think we can we can handle it or we can uh, we're capable of understanding what's really happening or or just kind of a sleight of hand thing but don't look over here and see what we're doing just watch this sports this game and don't worry about what else is going on in the world watch this movie as as an escape and and don't worry about what's going on over here. It's not important. Just stay busy with your entertainment stuff. I would buy that argument more on a pre-television time. Sorry, on a sorry on a post-television time, not on a pre-television time, where the flow of news was a lot slower, and therefore getting a sense for what was actually going on in the world. Well, I don't it's a know. little bit more complicated. Yeah, I don't know about that, Jose. Uh, that's I um, think that was the original purpose of the bread and circus in in mm-hmm. the Roman Empire was exactly. to distract the populace from their troubles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Keep them 100%. fed, keep them entertained. That's that's always been. Now we're just a bit more harder to entertain. Yes, or maybe not that's, because back but, then. People died constantly. But, that's, I don't know. but but the, but that Britain circus, that Britain circus is more necessary on a society where you are tyrant that is living on the edge of a social revolution. Mm. And I don't know whether then you're gonna say that in the current political climate, when you are up for re-election, maybe it's even more necessary. Mm. to keep the people fed and entertained. Yeah. 
Super Bowl is more necessary than ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. I don't know. I could talk myself out of my own argument. Um, <laughs> you could probably, you, you could go around in circles with that. I, I could definitely yeah. see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> but then I suppose it's hard. Then, yeah, then it's harder these days, isn't it? We, we are a lot more capable of figuring out what's going on. Are we? I mean, yeah, you would think we have all the information yeah. is out there, but we, most people don't seem to be very good at it. <laughs> they either believe. Well, we have a ton of information, or just don't even go look for it. Yeah, but yeah, is it the right information? You know, it. It. it there's a whole. Yeah, that, the, there's, there's a lot to this, go in there. Yeah, deceiving process is just. Too time consuming. It's not even deceiving, not even getting wrong information, but just finding the information you actually need or want. You know, is 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 hard. You have to go and check and check. How many times? Just, well, maybe... Is this real? Is this real? And go and check. At least, at least with fairy tales, we knew where it was. Oh, they were just fantasy. Hmm. But, but that was. That's what I was going to say. So on a post-television time, I can see how the Britain Circus, the entertainment, forget about what we're doing, here's some Super Bowl, here's the next, I don't know, Big Brother show, whatever. I can see how that works because there is a means of, dis- of mass distribution. But when Lewis Carroll wrote Alice in Wonderland, I'm not entirely sure he had that kind of secret agenda there these things were not produced from mega corporations that are propping up whatever factic powers are are played but I think there's a big difference between authorial intent and commercial intent Mm -hmm. yeah every author wants to have commercial success they want to, yeah, sure, yeah, financially, yeah, uh, and and uh, you know recognition and what have you, but but um, but but then when you get into uh, what that property can be used for in you know in a, in a bread and circus type of manner, that's different. Yeah, that's why so many novels are. Sometimes they only become famous decades after publication when then they become relevant. You know, it wasn't the author intention to, mm. to, to be relevant. Or maybe it was, but for different reasons. You know, just sell a few books. And, for uh, different reasons, yeah. 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 Yeah, like and you, you, can, tell, if you well, can take Tolkien. Whenever some, you know. someone writes with the intent of, uh, of being... With with the commercial intent to write about something, about, especially if if it's fiction, if it's non-fiction, that that's something else. But if it, in fiction, you can tell, and it usually backfires, because things change so fast. Yeah, but it's like with uh, with Tolkien, he had tons of reasons for writing the Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. His own personal reasons and. I don't think that one of his intents 
was to be a huge counterculture success of the late 50s and 60s. You know, that that wasn't that was the furthest thing from his mind. And uh, so that that's the uh, that's the difference, you know. I also think entertainment can be a way to to push certain ideologies and to change the course of kind of uh, change societal norms and and to make things that weren't acceptable 10 years ago acceptable today or expected or um, encouraged. And I'm not talking about anything specific, just saying it's it's a way, f- it's, I don't think it's always been that in some form, a way to, to, for change, for, to change perceptions and right or wrong. It just, I think it's a way of not only a distraction, but also a way to, to change the way people think and the way that what we deem acceptable and not acceptable. Anything from fashion trends to um, haircuts, ideologies. Yeah, life imitates art. You know, if, if you want to influence life, that's, that's the way to do it. Hoss <laughs> says is contemplating deeply. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, the thing is that I'm too stupid um, because I I totally understand what you're saying, and obviously our society is ever changing and evolving, and those changes must come from somewhere. They must originate somewhere, and then they get propagated through time. Sometimes quicker, sorry, quicker. Sometimes slower, and you know, changes. It's, it's like a wave, you know until it ripples out. I'm just too stupid to f- to put myself in the situation of someone who wants to change the world, and therefore, in order to do that, I'm going to write this book, or I'm going to paint this picture, or I'm going to make this movie and, you know, create a seismic change in society that's going to be felt decades from now. Yeah, who can you name that would actually like accomplish that? So obviously, no. I think obviously it's happened. So in the arts, obviously Picasso, you know, revolutionized pictorial art. But do I think that he set out to do that? That the way he invented or developed the cubism was purposefully to purposely to you know yeah radically alter the landscape right, or was yeah. it just his own expression that then echoed with other people i would the ex- same way yeah i would expect it was his own expression and then uh and then it snowballed into what it became you know that, that's right my suspicion yeah so in the same way like you were alluding to before i don't think tolkien set out to become a cultural icon i Correct. think yeah he had something to say about his experiences in World War One. He did yeah. say, admittedly, that he wanted to provide Britain with a mythology that he felt it lacked. Yeah, but he admitted that he and he admitted that he didn't set out to become the the, the icon of epic fantasy in the future. And he uh, and he also in that mythology he was trying to create, he was doing it for his him and his scholarly pals. 
you know that's that's what he mm. was doing it for it wasn't uh he you know he he, he admitted that it, he did not see the lord of the rings blowing up the way that it did uh, in the 60s and stuff like that i suppose culturally i suppose the only aspect of the art where i can see change as being purposeful is in music where you actually at different points in time you've had new styles of music develop purposely to alter the landscape whether it be blues and jazz that originated in the south in the united states or or the heavy metal that was born in, in britain in the late 60s they, they were purposely trying to change the musical landscape or like punk rock in the in the 70s um, but 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 in literature i don't know that much yeah you wonder uh but you wonder how many people you say they tried to change the music industry but how many people also tried and failed you know that we never hear about mm. and uh you know we, we're only here about the successes um so you, you you don't know how much history went into that you know how much how much how many people tried to be black sabbath before black sabbath was black sabbath you know uh it's an interesting point yeah i suspect not very many but that's just an intuition <laughs> Going back to fairy tales, I was just wondering, would you consider like the One Thousand and One Nights as fairy tale? Um, that was actually mentioned in one of the websites that I was um, perusing um, as a form of fairy for tale. Adults, I think yeah. uh, that they they were not written for children. So right. where yep. do they stand? Would they be fairy tales are fairy tales just for children or mostly for children where are we gonna draw the line there yeah that's interesting because um because the 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 origins of fairy tales were basically they're a genre of folklore um you know that feature stories with magical and fantastical elements and so yeah, they're fairy tales, I guess, in a way. Uh, but do, I mean, I guess the question is: Do fairy tales have to be geared towards teaching children a lesson, or yes. can they just be? Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know. So, but you could say the same about fables. You know, Aesop's fables. Yeah. Also, have a huge moral component. No, they don't have fairies. They don't. They don't necessarily aim just at children. Yep, but Aesop fables do have. Um, they do usually have some sort of, uh, uh, like a mystical element toward them, and on some level, even if it's just, you know, I mean, subtle. They, but, uh, they got. I don't know if it's that subtle. I think they've got very clear morality, mm -hmm. yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it's not so much of a warning, like in a fairy tale. 
I think a fairy tale is a warning of, you know, what could happen if you behave in a certain way. Whereas a fable is more like, this is how you should behave, rather than, rather than how you shouldn't behave. Hmm. That's, that's quite a distinction there. But would you put them in the same category? Is it kind of the same thing? Well, according to Google, <laughs> fables are stories that are passed down with a good uh, with a good lesson to be learned, and are about animals, plants, or forces of nature that are human-like. Fairy tales are stories that are specifically for kids, involve magical characters, have good and evil characters, and generally start with once upon a time. Hmm. <laughs> I just had to share this. So I guess that, that simplifies things. So just you start the story with once upon a time and write it for kids and that's a fairy tale. Yeah, but then a certain author of slipstream fantasy that I know could start a fable with the sentence once upon a time and just fuck it all up for everyone. <laughs> I didn't stop. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time. I would just put them all together. I would just put them all together in the same sort of moralizing, this intent, moral teaching. Okay, so there one, and uh, I think we agreed on the on the, on a few things. That they all they always have to have some uh, moral involved. Some they always have to try to teach something. Uh, be fairly short, so not a novel, and um, that they have to be geared for kids, and they have changed a lot over time. Although. Sorry, Steve, oh, no, I was just going to say, we at the beginning, when we first got on, I think it was mentioned in the article, in the psychology article I was reading, that the stories have remained the same, but they really haven't. They've changed a lot and continue to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a lot of them. Um, I went into the Project Gutenberg website to download them on my Kindle, and I didn't when I realized how many there are. Because, you know, we all know the classics, Hansel and Gretel, um, Little Red Riding Hood, whatever. But the Grimm fairy tales, there's actually like two or three volumes of them. There's, there's loads and loads of them that actually are nowhere near as popular as the ones we mentioned. Um, and in the end, I decided I didn't want another long book there on the TBR. But there's a lot of them. So there's plenty a lot more grim dark to unpick there, Jared. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. So are we all in agreement too that we should go back to the darker fairy tales for kids and and not the the lighter anyone can be a princess? Yes. Absolutely, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> How old is your youngest? Uh, fifteen. Ah, oh, fuck it. No, then, then no. 
Because I was going to say, how about you read to your child the original <laughs> tales and tell me how it goes and whether I should do the same. Oh, they'll mine. stay up. Oh, if you read it to a little, they'll probably lose sleep. But I think that's just because of what they're the what they're used to. I mean, it's just a that's we don't subject them to the type of stories that these were originally. But then we need to find someone with young kids because then the younger they are, the less ex- exposed they are to this sanitized society. So we should have we should find a willing lab rat to read the original fairy tales to their kid. <laughs> If someone is listening at home and they've got like a three-year-old, could you please let us know? Yeah, who who wants to traumatize (laughs) their kids? (laughs) You can peel them away from the screen and say, "No, you don't want to watch that, Pinocchio." Here. (laughs) (laughs) And luckily, we could have been found for lawsuits for moral and psychological damage. Yeah, definitely. But you've got to admit, it's a brilliant. It is a good idea. I feel bad for the kid, though. They'll probably grow up and find each of us and uh, get paid back because they'll learn it from the stories. Uh-huh. No, but I think if, if, if Holly Tinsley was here, she'd probably say something like, oh, I wish I had been read those stories or something like that. I don't know. Well, she regrets them or not. We'll have to ask her. That <coughs> yeah. no, was fun. It was a good uh, It was a good topic, Jared. It was, it was an interesting. I had a lot of fun talking about all these crazy fairy tales I didn't know. Yeah, who knew a who knew a simple question would lead to all this? Yeah, <laughs> usually does though. Yeah, it's always the way. Yeah, but uh, so cool. So in the meantime, until next time, uh, Jared, where can people find you? Ah, uh, you can find me at the Fantasy Thinker on YouTube, and uh, I you can check out my occasional post on PageChewing.com. dot nice. And uh, Jose. Yeah, I can be found at the Jose's Amazing Worlds YouTube channel and also on in the page to informs. And Susanna. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Den of the Weird, page to informs, and X as Chronodendron. And you can find my books pretty much everywhere. Timelessness. First book is Weird Gods, and there's a new one coming up, Oblier next month available for pre-order check it out yes go get every pre-order while you can so cool yeah you can find all of us on the, on the page to inform if you want to if you want to volunteer to traumatize your kids contact us there and we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll set it all up so in the meantime we'll talk to everyone soon have a great weekend Bye-bye. bye bye